Hello, welcome to How to Heal, a place for transformation in all aspects of life. My name is Mika Leon Pettit, and I thank you for listening in. Our audience and reach is growing by the week, and I would like to say thank you all for sharing. I really appreciate you. It's winter solstice time, give or take a day, depending on where you are in the world, where we have our shortest day and longest night of the year. In ancient times, it has been seen as a symbolic death and rebirth of the sun or of a sun god. And that brings us to our topic and guest today. We are going to dive into astro magic and how to create with it in the 21st century. I believe this is an awesome winter solstice topic for going inward and creating with the cosmos in your healing process. I'm excited to introduce you to my mentor and friend, Noel Eastwood. He is a retired psychologist with a background in Taoist alchemy, astrology, the tarot, and the esoteric. He's an author with several books, his first being Psychological Astrology in the Twelve Houses. He also has three books on astrology, a book on self-hypnosis and its clinical and psychic use, along with a five-book series on the fool's journey through the tarot. I believe I have all your books, Noel. Welcome to How to Heal. Thanks, Mika. I really appreciate this. I've, I've been looking forward to uh, to our chat today because there's, there's so much material that I've been reading over the past 12 months on Egyptian magic. And it's the field is huge. So I've read, I don't know, a dozen books and I'm on, on the internet basically every day. So yeah, so I hope today um, we'll be able to talk about those sort of things. And in terms of the... Uh, the, the winter solstice that you're having on the other side of the world in Australia, where I am, we're heading for our summer solstice. So the uh, the longest day and the shortest night. And uh, I think the weather is predicted to be hot and sunny. So they're quite different to where um, most of uh, your listeners will be. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So we are recording this on winter solstice here in the Northern Hemisphere where we're going to have the shortest night and Noel is in the, <laughs> the southern southern part of the hemisphere where he's going to have the longest day. So that is awesome. Um, yeah. And, and can you tell our audience where exactly you are and how about your personal healing journey that has led you to where you are today? Okay. Well, that, that's a, that, that'll be a long story because <laughs> I'm pretty old. So, uh, you know, been there and done a lot of things. Um, so I'm in Australia, in, in um, the capital city of Australia, which is Canberra, which is in the mountains on the East Coast. And so we are uh, a little bit different to most of Australia, which is like 75% desert. Uh, so we, we have, um, you know, we can grow cherries and apples and all sorts of cold climate uh, foods here mm -hmm. that you normally can't get on the coast where we originally came from. Um, so my, my healing journey, uh, well, when I was a little, little, little kid, when I was an infant, um, I got uh, glandular fever and was sick with tonsillitis and mumps and all sorts of horrible things in that area, earache. So my memories of before I went to school were basically of pain. wasn't much mm -hmm. fun. But uh, I was very interested in, in healing, particularly herbs as a, as a youngster. And I did a correspondence course on on uh, on herbs as a teenager. I was 
very lucky because um, in 1980, I discovered Tai Chi and that really was the start of my journey. And from there, you know, within, within six months, I was leaving my body at night and astral traveling and doing all sorts of weird things, meeting people out there, people that, that were dead and, and other entities. <laughs> That, um, that that hasn't stopped. I'm, I'm lucky that that those experiences happened early in my life because it's basically formed my journey. Wow. the the healing the healing side of the journey was um, was initially through Tai Chi and and herbs and some traditional Chinese medicine and hands on healing. So I was lucky that my teacher, my mentor Simon Lim, um, his his teacher of the, the Chen line was a healer. So he did, he used Chinese medicine and, and uh, acupuncture, but mostly acupressure with the, with the Qigong, with the energy. So that's what I learned. And so that was, that was good because my children came along and uh, the first one was very sick. Mm -hmm. So I, I used the, a little bit that I learned then and also the bark remedies, which were really interesting things. I, I love do flower them. essences. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't got back into it since the kids were, were little, but um, yeah, it, it opened up another, another avenue. So, uh, so in terms of where I am, well, from, from the Tai Chi next came astrology. I studied astrology in the mid eighties. Um, I was teaching at that time in disabilities and, uh, and then moved down the coast to the country and taught, like, I think what you call middle school. And then mm -hmm. I went back to university, studied psychology, came back as a, a school psychologist. And then um, all through this period, I had my own uh, practice, a private mm -hmm. practice that I did like of an evening and weekends, teaching um, astrology, Tai Chi, meditation, and I was practicing clinical hypnotherapy initially, psychotherapy. I had a, a mentor who was a Jungian psychotherapist. So that opened my eyes as well. And then uh, moved up to Canberra. And now I'm retired, which is wonderful. So what do I do now? I write my books. And uh, I'm currently recovering from a bout of COVID earlier this year, which just doesn't want to let go. And so that's meant that I've really had to focus a lot more, a lot stronger on, on my diet, my nutrition, my exercise, and in particular, my meditations, which uh, uh, I've always got with me anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so you started off with astrology back in the 80s. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm assuming other, all these other esoteric, the Taos alchemy. So all this has been stuff that you've been doing over the years, along with your psychology practice. Yes, yes. It, when I uh, studied astrology, I was teaching. And so I would ask the parents, you know, for their children's birth data. So I uh, accumulated an enormous data bank of, of charts. And I'm, I, in terms of that, I've never had one single person say no. <laughs> Whenever <laughs> I've asked for birth data because I do astrology, everybody has yeah. been more than happy to um, offer it. You know, people are interested in this sort of stuff. Yeah. So I've done, you know, I've done an enormous amount of research on, uh, you know, children's learning difficulties, ADD, ADHD, and uh, 
with uh, psychopathology and psychological disorders through astrology because I was, you know, one-to-one with people with mm-hmm. those problems. So out of that has come, um, you know, the books that I've written and and my approach is to straight away, bam, zero in on certain features in the astrology chart, mm-hmm. which highlight uh, the, the conflicts that we wrestle with every day. And for me, it, it's with most cases these days, um, looking at an astrology chart, it talks to me. So it, uh, you know, as you get older, the more you practice, the more that you do, you actually do get better. Right. <laughs> yes, and I was going <laughs> to ask you that. Yeah, but what what did you see the most in your practice over the years that that came to you? You you studied. Uh, you were doing psychology. You had a practice for at least what ten years. You said. Yep. Yep. Um, most of the the clients that I saw because I have two phases. The first phase was as a clinical hypnotherapist, mm-hmm. and I in a um, I had a, a little room in a new age bookshop. So I saw that clientele, people that were interested in past lives and a sprinkling of relationship problems and anxiety and depression and and, uh, people dealing with death or, uh, you know, either their own illness or, you know, mortality. Right. And uh, that, that of loved ones. So it was, it was, that was the most exciting part of my, my career, I could say, because that's where I learned to do archetypal uh, you know, meet your archetypes, the sun and moon and others in the chart and a lot of inner child work and a lot of uh, resolving issues through psychotherapy uh, in trance. And that's where that book, my first book I wrote was on self-hypnosis and uh, that contains basically all the things that I, that I learned to do. Mm-hmm. So that was an amazing time for me. It was, um, yeah, so that's, that's the uh-huh. first half. And then the second half was, as a psychologist where you can't do any of that stuff. So I <laughs> right, right. Yeah, mostly saw people with conflict at work, workplace bullying, anxiety, depression. Um, and that basically was most of the clients that I saw as a registered psychologist. So yeah, two different phases. The first one was really exciting. The second one was hard work. And yeah, I was going to say that probably burnt you out in that 10 years where, and where you turned back to astrology and to role. Yeah. And, and did you let, was astro magic always a part of, of your, you know, your practice and your um, studies? Well, way back um, in the early days when I was studying astrology with under Chris Turner, who would be one of Australia's um, premier astrologers back in those days in Sydney, um, I was introduced to this book by Edwin Steinbrinker called The Inner Guide Meditation. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the, the, the planets as archetypes that you go and meet them. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, the lights turned on, the angel chorus came up and that just that, that <laughs> grabbed me so strongly that I've not let it go. So that's a you know 30 heading towards 40 years now. So I've always done those meditations where you go and meet your archetypes. So in terms of astral magic, there's the <clears throat> there's the new age Wicca pagan, which comes from Hermeticism, the Golden Dawn, and way back to the Egyptian magic that we'll be talking about yes so that's one form where you've got the harry potter spells and you've got the alchemy bubble boil bubble toil and trouble um eye of newt and whatever else is in that (laughs) compared to working with the archetypes directly 
and there there is a difference. So um, yes, I, I've 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 always had that astro magic with me. It feels like you know, you know over, as I say, over the nearly forty years, it's um, it's second nature now. Uh, yes, I, I bet it is, and I, well, I'm excited to get get into this. So, where would you like to begin with the history of astro magic, and then just kind of guide us through? I've got a couple of questions, but I'll ask as we go along. Okay. Um, so, originally, uh, so the 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 um, the fertile crescent of Iran through Lebanon, Syria. And eventually across to Egypt. That's basically the you know the, the Western world's uh, origins of civilization. So, what happened is because of the fertile soils between the Euphrates and the Tigris River in Mesopotamia, uh, people had time. They could grow massive amounts of food, and they could sit around smoking their pipes and talk about philosophy and belief systems and gods and, and share stories. Mm -hmm. So when, when people finally migrated across to the Nile River um, and settled there, that was quite isolated initially so that it allowed the Egyptian people to have a string of pharaohs unbroken for like 3,000 years up until Cleopatra VII when it ended with the Roman invasion. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> those 3,000 years is like a, you know, a melting pot of knowledge and wisdom that they gained with their their own studies, the the, the magician priests mm -hmm. that um, that formed there, they did their own studies. A little bit like Tibet, you know, we look along upon the Tibetans as being the master of, med of meditation and, right. and alchemy, internal alchemy. Well, the Egyptians were the same, very much the same. Uh, they had access to the Mediterranean Sea. So they they were in trading with all of the countries around the sea. So, you know, the, the Romans, the Greeks, the, uh, the, the in Spain, everywhere. And then they also had access to the Red Sea, which went down to Arabia, down to um, East Africa and across to India. Mm. So that was like a melting pot because trade went through them because they had so, such an excess of food. The, the Nile Valley and when it flooded, it, it just was so rich that the people there grew most of the, the wheat, for instance, during the Roman era, came from Egypt. They had such an abundance of food. And so when you don't have to go out hunting every day looking for food, it just, you know, turns up on your plate, uh, you know, like, a, you know, like a, an Uber Eats or something like that. Yes. You... Um, you have time to evolve and develop your and spiritual reflect, exactly and use that time for growth and development um yeah yeah right. and i even saw that uh i was when i was reading up on uh studies about this i saw socrates and plato and all those they spent time over there um mm. studying the philosophies of these guys because like how you said they had such they had years, thousands of years of history in Egypt. So they, they stayed and spent some time there to, to study there. Yeah, yeah. So the Egypt did not evolve by itself, the same as Greek philosophy did not evolve or Roman or, you know, any, any of them. None of them were alone in mm -hmm. their development of spirituality. They borrowed from everybody. So when you have trade, you're not just trading goods, 
you're trading people, you're trading ideas and stories and gods. Yes. It's, it's shared. So the when Alexander the Great conquered the, the Persians and took over um, Egypt, he built the city Alexandria on the on the delta on the um, mouth of the Nile River, and that became the central trading port for all of the um, the known world. Mm-hmm. Everything went there. So uh, Ptolemy, I think the second, built the Library of Alexandria, which became a university. So the, the people of knowledge gravitated to Alexandria, the city of Alexandria, to learn, to study, but also to teach. And so now we have the melting pot of that magical Hellenistic period of around 100 AD to about 600, uh, 100 BC mm-hmm. to about 600 AD, where mm. not just um, uh, the the knowledge of uh, yeah, um, engineering and mathematics and astronomy, mm-hmm. but astrology. Anyone that was anybody studied astrology back in those days, even in Tibet today. Oh yes, uh, and the doctors as well. The doctors part yeah. of their their training was to know astrology. Yeah, you can't. Mm-hmm. If you can't cast a chart for someone's health, then you're not a doctor. Exactly. But they, they were they were the same back in those days. So that's where we, we during that period we we had astrologers from all around the known world, including India and Tibet and, and probably even China as well as Africa and the Arabians were heavily influential on Western astrology. So we have the you know they all agreed that there are seven planets: yes. Sun, Moon, Mercury. Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, because they didn't have telescopes. So seven planets, how important were they? Well, you will see seven all through the early era of of magic. And we also named our days of the week after the seven. That's why we have a seven-day week, it's because there's seven planets. And each has their own name. We've got sun for Sunday, moon for Monday. Monday. Twi, which is the god of war. Mars, right? Yep. He's Mars, yep. Wednesday mm-hmm. is um, Woden, who is Mercury. Then we have Thursday, who is Thor, Jupiter, which is Jupiter. Friday mm-hmm. is Freya, which is Venus, Aphrodite. And yeah. then Saturn is Saturday, is Saturn's day. So, so we, we have that. We have 360 degrees because there are basically 360 days in a lunar year. Then we have, um, in terms of the astrology chart, we've got 12 signs, mm-hmm. 12 houses. Yes. We have aspects, the, the aspects, the square, the conjunction, the opposition, the trine. They come from this magical period where all the, the, the great minds got together in this massive melting pot in the Alexandrian uh, universities wow. and came up with a standard for what astrology would look like. And we still have that today. Mm. But then along came Christianity and the Middle Ages and the purge of the heretics by the Catholic Church. And if you put your hand up in, in Europe that you were uh, an astrologer or a, you practice witchcraft or magic or paganism, or even that you believe differently, even though you believed in, in Christianity, if you, had a, if you belonged to a different sect, like the right. Cathars and the Bogomols and, and the Gnostics, even the Essenes, the Catholic Church was so aggressive, they would go out and kill you. They would not only kill you, they would kill your family and your right. village, even your city. 
Wow. So we, we lost like a thousand years of knowledge and growth in astrology and magic. And we've, we've slowly had to build that up around the Renaissance period, um, around the 1400s, 1500s, where slowly we, we started to grasp and accept that there is more than just Catholicism there. That's where we have, um, uh, mm. you know, the, the Protestant movement and, and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So, yeah, the, I had to learn all this because I didn't learn this at university. I've had to <laughs> pull this not. together myself. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I found what's fascinating that I saw too, that astrology, magic, and alchemy was like all three occult hermetic sciences. So they were all intertwined and, and practiced mm. for hermetic philosophy. So I thought that was fascinating as well. Yeah, the uh, none of none of this comes from nowhere. It it all builds on previous knowledge, and the Egyptian magician priests mm -hmm. they they did magic. When Plato was in Egypt, he spent twelve years in Egypt after Socrates died to escape from the. Um, to escape from Rome because his life was in danger as well. So he went and went to Italy and to Sicily and studied there for a while, but he spent 12 long years in the city of Heliopolis. And Heliopolis is named after Helios, who is the Greek god of the sun. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the centers of, of uh, soul of religion and magic which is mm. the Egyptian magic. They, they didn't have religion as such that we know it. They had, their magic was, you could taste their magic. They would get up in the morning and magic began and they'll go to bed with magic. The, wow. um, you know, the, the develop, the evolution of uh, planetary or es the, the magic of the cosmos mm -hmm. was part of their daily life. They would draw down the, the, the power of Pluto. Oh, well, they didn't have Pluto, but of Jupiter mm -hmm and the sun and the moon and Mercury, according to what your needs were. And you could put it into a ring or a pendant or a tattoo or a statue. Yes, yes, I saw house. that. So would they call all of those, would all those be considered like a talisman? Yeah, so a tals talisman is an object that holds magic for a purpose. Mm -hmm. So the purpose could be to protect you. So you know how Egypt has that, the eye, you know, you yes. see the, the beautiful choreographed yes. eye mm -hmm. but that's if you put that on a um on a pendant and wear that that will ward off the evil eye so anyone that wishes you evil or wants to do harm to you you wear the the eye and that protects you so talismans were so so common if you had a business you would have jupiter and saturn and the sun somewhere either as a statue or as a painting mm -hmm. or in some physical form that was created and crafted by one of the magician priests because the average person didn't really have those skills or the power to do it. Right. But the, the magician priests of Egypt crafted these um, talismans and sold them. And you would, you would get up in the morning and go and wash down your statue of jupiter and you would anoint it with your oils and you would burn incense and put flowers there so all the th the things that are associated with jupiter you would follow through to start the day and then at night you would say your prayers to him and 
sing the chants and then go to bed. So yeah, every day was involved with the, the rituals of magic. And what they did, the secret of Egyptian magic is what they call Heka, H-E-K-E, -E, I think it is. Hmm. And that means knowledge, personal knowledge of magic. So it wasn't like in the Christian religion, you can't, you're not allowed, well, you don't have access to, to God's knowledge or wisdom or, or magic or power. Mm -hmm. That's that's handed to you by the priest or, you know, with the holy water or something. Right. In the Egyptian form of magic, Heka was to know God or to know the power of the universe personally and people were allowed to access this on a daily basis through through many many means wow uh, this is amazing um i i also could you would you like to talk a little bit about the picatrix i thought that was fascinating with all those yeah with the 200 <laughs> like the combination of all these books compiled together and it kind of disappeared and even like like they're saying even now you know it's still not that well known even though this book's been passed down for many you know many years yeah so the picatrix is one of many grimoires so uh, over the thousands of years the the magicians whether they be arabic or indian or english or um someone from greece mm -hmm. they 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 would keep a diary of their experiments and they would write down the the herbs they used or the 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 toxins or the hallucinogenics that they they used you know whatever they were doing in their experiments and they would record the results and so it became a, a like a diary and, and we call them a grimoire so mm -hmm. these grimoires were they were very rare and very hard to get your hands on they were very expensive because you now have uh a, a wise, experienced, famous magician's spells, book of spells, right. book of shadows is other words for it, but they're grimoire. Mm -hmm. So you could borrow that or take it or buy it mm -hmm. or get a copy of it. And then you could practice magic the way this, this particular per, me person has done. The Picatrix was written um, in around the 11th century. So mm -hmm in 1000 right whatever it is <laughs> yeah ad um <laughs> and i think it was originally written either in um latin or greek would have been latin or greek or perhaps even arabic because the arabs heavily heavily um involved at this time in alchemy mm -hmm. be primarily because the, the the catholic church just killed everybody <laughs> that were practicing magic so the the Arabic people, uh, they just took it on board and they just pushed it forward. And we're very, very indebted to their work. So the Picatrix is also called the Gayat al-Hakim, the aim of the wise. And uh, here we go. Yeah, I've got, got it written down. Originally yeah. composed in Arabic. Yes. In the yes. 11th century. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's a compile, compilation of other manuscripts and other texts on magic and put together but basically it's it's all about how to how to make astro magic how to pull down or draw down the magic of the moon draw down the magic or the powers of the sun or any planet 
right. and impress it into a talisman. And so the they are really complex spells. I, I think I got. One, I saw one. one. I saw an example of one that you you had in your newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> Was it the Jupiter um, one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable because you've got to have like, you know, you've got to have the eye of Newt and a horn of you of a <laughs> unicorn. And the the, the, the brain of a monkey. lamb, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, for you to go out and get all these things to make <laughs> spells, uh, to create these spells, you had to either be very wealthy or well placed somewhere to have access <laughs> to all these strange ingredients. But I, I have a feeling that if you're producing magic, you're going to disguise it because you don't want any just somebody coming along and pinching stealing your grimoire and, and using the magic that you've spent a lifetime uh, accumulating and and, and um uh, refining mm -hmm. so a lot of these spells you have to take with a, a pinch of salt because you're just not sure exactly about these ingredients the other <laughs> thing is you also have to know astrology because yes. you've got to do it on jupiter's day mm -hmm. at the thursday Th on a on a Thursday, and it has to be Jupiter's hour, and yeah. it has to be when Jupiter is in a certain place, or the Moon has to be in a certain position in the heavens. In so, the would Jupiter hour be something like? Do would you have to look at the deacons for that? How would you find out your yes. Jupiter hour? Yeah, well, there are um there are uh, tables, mm -hmm. so you can just just type it in um uh, pick a tricks hours of the Moon or something like that in in um in your computer oh nice so yeah so you can you can access all of this all of this stuff is the picatrix you just type in picatrix click go and away you go you'll you'll have access to all of them because they're they're over 70 years old so there's no um copyright oh very nice so the the picatrix is famous because it 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 spells out their spell casting methods and their making of talismans quite clearly mm -hmm. as long as you just take your time and go and find a monkey and scoop out his brains and <laughs> get the eye of a pig and the blood of a donkey and so what they call it supermagate supermagate yeah. i didn't know what a supermagate yeah. mastic and lignum of aloes in the head of the table wow. yeah and then you've got to then you've got to pronounce all of these gods that um that have funny funny names but there's the picatrix and there's also i was reading um over the past couple of days in preparation for this of the the key of solomon and the lesser key of solomon so these ones in particular have influenced western magic systems probably more than the picatrix has i think the picatrix has been there all the time but mm -hmm. the key of solomon i think to the western ear and because Picatrix doesn't sound very biblical or very Christian, whereas Solomon, oh, we all know Solomon. He was the King Solomon, the, the father of David, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But what they've got is that they have created uh, Solomon as a powerful magician. And I'm sure this is myth, but it, I don't know. So I can't say that it's just a myth or, or make-believe. But he in casting in, in creating the temple of uh you know the the temple temple in jerusalem mm -hmm. that he 
he harnessed the power and controlled the the demons, all the demons, with his magic. He used wow. his magic, and by controlling uh, Beelzebub or Bees Bees Beelzebul Beelzebub, same thing. Mm -hmm. um, he controlled all of the demons. So from that, they've they've got a a book called the Key of Solomon, which has his spells and how to uh, control demons and the, the the chants and the casting, the methods of casting are all in his book. And the key, there's the key of Solomon, and then you've got the lesser key, which is written probably 500 years later. They're not related, but they all draw upon the myth of Solomon, the king as okay up until the the reformation which was uh luther in the in i think germany and and uh the dutch region the netherlands mm -hmm. uh so up until that period the the roman catholic church dominated the christian religion and because of their aggression basically every other form of uh Christian worship went underground. The her Hermetic uh, teachings recognize that very early, uh, you know, in around that 100, 200 AD at the very start of the, the Christian religion, they realized that there was, there was change occurring. And so what they did is they adapted their teachings of Hermeticism and uh, it was absorbed through the through that melting pot in in alexandria with the christian teachings so christianity is a branch of judaism just as islam came from judaism so christianity didn't just evolve from nowhere it had a solid foundation in judaic uh in the judaic religion you know mm -hmm. there's a whole old testament which is comes from the judaic religion so up until around the 14th century, the, the Catholic Church dominated, executed in, in the Inquisitions any heretic that dared oppose them. So at the period of the Reformation, basically brought on by what happened in Italy around the, the, the Renaissance period and the Reformation basically came together in that 1400s, 1500s. Uh -huh. When, uh, what's his Marcelio Ficini, the, the priest astrologer, now this is the weird thing, at that time there were, there was movement in the Catholic Church to examine the philosophies of Plato and the, the Greek philosophers, Plato, um, Socrates, Pythagoras, you know all of those mm -hmm. those fellows i can't rattle off all their names unfortunately <laughs> but marcelio was was um he had a benefactor in the medici family so the medici family ruled a lot of the trade that went through the the mediterranean sea went through his their trading ships the medici family used that to leverage a position as the bankers of the Vatican Church in the 13, 1400s. So they were phenomenally powerful. 
And this particular fellow, Cosimo Medici, had so much wealth that he was a philanthropist and gave it to people that were uh, of knowledge in philosophy and religion. And when he saw that uh, Marsilio Ficini was a young man, he was had a phenomenal command of language mm -hmm. and he could translate basically anything. So Medici, Cosmo Medici, had access to the original writings of Plato or the, the Greek. And he asked Marsilio Ficini, the, the priest, the young priest, to translate it into Latin so that he could read it before he died. In the middle of, of Ficini's translations, a monk, a Portuguese monk, discovered the Corpus Hermeticum, which is the original writings of Hermes. And of course, even though this is the 14th century, Europe was just so smitten with Egyptian magic and the Egyptian people that they had they had these things called pyramids, which were just gigantic. And they had that sphinx and they had this queer writing like the, the Western world was just smitten with it. So when Hermes original writings, which, of course, we know they're not original, they're written around 100, 200 A.D., Mm -hmm. Hermes, Hermes uh, was considered a contemporary of Moses. So we're going back you know, 2,000 years from the birth of Christ, we're going way back in time. So th when the Corpus Hermeticum uh, was discovered and brought by this, this monk and, and given to the Medici, um, head of the Medici family, he told Ficino to stop his translations of Plato which were also uh, considered to be the highest philosophy of mankind by the, the, um, the people of, of Europe. Mm -hmm. Stop translating that because I've got the Corpus Hermeticum, the original words of Hermes, who we know is Toph, <laughs> which the Romans called Mercury. So the Greeks called him Hermes, yes. the Gro Romans called him Mercury, and it is basically Toph. The Egyptian top. So Ficini started translating the Corpus Hermeticum and eventually um, produced the, the very first translation, which was copied and published 50,000 times in a year. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but when the printing press was invented, uh, copies of these texts spread through Europe like wildfire because here's the the original words of basically God. Right. Now the the book called the em Emerald Tablet. Tablet. I'm trying the Emerald Tablet, that's it. Mm -hmm. The Emerald Tablet is only like one page long. And it was also considered uh, an original document from written by Hermes. It was written between 200 and 800 AD but it draws upon the knowledge from, you know, several thousand years of Hermeticism. Mm -hmm. And Hermeticism is basically Egyptian magic. They're, they're, they're both the same. Right. Hermes being Toph. Right. So it's the Emerald Tablet where we get that very famous saying, as above, so, so below. below. Yeah. yeah. You know, we've got that in the New Age. It, it comes through all the time. Mm -hmm. So the Emerald Tablet was already available, as were several other 
hermetic books. So the people of Europe, and particularly the uh, the intelligentsia and the wealthy, they already had a taste of hermetic writing. But when the Corpus Hermeticum, there were 17 books that this fellow brought on the back of a donkey all the way from Portugal to um, Florence, I think it was in, in Italy. Mm-hmm. When that arrived, the, the, the world went crazy. So let me find where I've got all this written down. Oh, Pastor Picatrix, now we're into Catholicism yeah. and, uh, and magic. So Ficini himself studied astrology. He also yes. studied magic. Mm. And when he had access to Plato's original writings and then the Corpus Hermeticum, which mm. is, uh, you know, hermeticism and the, the magic of drawing down these powers from the, from the heavens above, mm-hmm. he was in his element. Now, he had to be very careful because this is in the middle of uh, the, the, the Catholic Inquisitions and entire cities being put to the torch right. by Catholicism. Mm-hmm. So he, he called it natural magic. Oh, I saw that. Saw, he and a few others, there weren't many, some of them opened their mouths too much and were burned at the stake. Others were tortured and imprisoned for uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. So no, like and those, Galileo. Right. Mm-hmm. So no, and those books, those three books of occult philosophy, was it, was the first one named Natural Magic? Is that is that the one you're talking about? Um, by Ficini. I'm not sure if that's the one who who's the author of it, but yeah, I saw Natural Magic as the one of the first books in those three books of occult philosophy. Uh, that possibly could. Ficini, he wrote three books on natural magic. Okay. Uh, so w- what he did and, and a few others, a few other Catholic priests who had that bent, mm-hmm. they, they, they were involved with the Vatican. They were with Catholicism all the time. They, were, um, they went through the education system of the Catholic Church. So they knew the corruption that existed in in the Vatican and in the Catholic Church, and they were fed up with it. They they just saw that there was so much deceit and so much greed and corruption in their church that they saw hermeticism and the hermetic writings of the in the Corpus Hermeticum. They saw that as a way of cleansing and bringing Catholicism back mm. to where it should be, which is the worship of 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 God in an honest and honourable and respectful manner. Mm. So they also reflected back on these these particular priests, reflected back on the city of Alexandria, which had one of the suburbs of Alexandria reflected the original Heliopolis Oh, damn it! I hope I got the word right. Heliopolis, which is um, which was a city in Lower Egypt, you know, thousands of years ago, which was um, protected by the magic of Helios, who is the god, the sun god of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So they, the whole city had um, statues and and pinnacles 
that were dedicated to the gods. And of course, the magician priests would go around every day and do their rituals and say their chants and say their prayers to keep the magic you know, happening. Mm -hmm. So some of these Catholic priests wanted to do the same thing with the Vatican. They wanted to be able to draw down the magical powers of the heavens and place it in the Vatican. And of course, the moment they mentioned that to the heads of the Catholic Church, they were straight away yeah. considered heretics. <laughs> so shunned. That said, yeah, so they had to be very, very careful. Uh, Ficino actually survived, um, although one of his students or one of his colleagues, uh, Pico, I can't remember his last name, he actually dobbed Ficino in for heretical thoughts because of his natural magic. But uh, Ficino had very wealthy and powerful friends and, and didn't actually get uh, tortured. Uh -huh. But there are several others, the most famous being uh, what, what was his name? Uh, hang on, see if I can find it. Yeah, this is fascinating. Um, and I, I'm sure a lot of people don't know how entwined um, some of this stuff is with, um, like how you said, with Catholicism, for one, and probably several other uh, religions as well. Yeah, the, um, the the Catholic Church is was heavily influenced by uh, Hermeticism and not so much Gnosticism. Gnosticism, mm -hmm. which is G-N-O-S, Gnosticism, right. Gnosis. Mm -hmm. Gnosis. Nous is the Greek word for knowledge, nous, N-O-U-S. And Gnosis is, uh, is like a branch of Christianity mm -hmm. yeah. that is heavily in, um, invested in Hermeticism. And the, the Egyptian Hermeticism was Heka knowledge of God through self-experience, by, by personal experience, touching upon God through your meditations, through your prayers, prayers and through rituals. Right. So Gnosis, the, the word, uh, you know, the, the Gnosis religion or have whatever you would call it, had very much the same beliefs that you can't touch upon, you know, you, you don't rely on a priest or anybody telling you what is godly or the right thing or what is spiritual you've got to know it yourself you've got to have that hands-on knowledge and experience, experience yes personal experience yeah mm -hmm. and of course they were very much the target of the catholic inquisitions in in the 1200s in the 12th century there was a um a very very nasty uh series of inquisitions against the cathars in southern france where an entire city was massacred. It was just terrible because they they had a slightly different um, view of Christianity. But getting back to the Catholic link with Hermeticism is that um, these these priests who mm -hmm. studied astrology they even there are even um, there's a book with um, with some of the letters from this Marsilio Ficini. Uh, where he talks about, you know, his astrology chart and how Saturn is 
currently transiting his ascendant and making him sick and depressed and you know so he's actually talking astrology as an astrologer right so you know when i first read that and that's actually how i got into that was the window that got me into egyptian magic and hermeticism uh-huh. is Ficeno actually saying this because i thought that there's no catholic priests ever right. were astrologers they right. weren't magicians they weren't alchemists no way in the world but here they were, and this is in the Renaissance period, basically brought about by the discovery of the Corpus Hermetica. When that arrived, it turned even the religions on their head and in Catholicism. There was one Pope who actually had one of these priests who did astrology to come in and heal him and protect him from bad vibes from the people that wanted to harm him. He mm-hmm. allowed this priest to um, put him through a number of healing rituals over a series of years to protect him from the evil eye, from evil spirits. It's just amazing that actually happened. Now, this particular guy, um, look, obviously I don't have all their names written down in front of me. Right. There's so many of them. He, um, he was tortured and he was imprisoned and <laughs> the poor guy he's you know lived to in his 70s but the, what the poor fellow went through <laughs> is just amazing <laughs> he had a he had a very hard life yes oh well, yeah. well this is gonna be this is awesome we're gonna take a quick break because we're gonna come back and we're going to talk about ways of using astro magic now in your healing journey with no eastward so we will be right back we are all here to do something specific and unique to our original blueprint Soul contracts can clear up questions you have about yourself and others while putting you on the right path that is uniquely yours. It speeds up the work of self-development exponentially and gives you practical tools for daily living. To learn about or experience a soul contract reading, go to www.mikaleone.com and get your free 15-minute consult to find out if a soul contract is right for you. Welcome back to How to Heal, a place for transformation in all aspects of life. We are here with Noel Eastward talking astro magic and how to create with it in the 21st century. Noel, there's so much to cover. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much to talk about here. We're going to have to come back later, but for, for today, can you give us Give, can you give the listeners, um, those who are at least, if they haven't even done any astro magic yet, they're just getting into astrology or just learning about these types of concepts, can you give them an idea how they can utilize it in the here and now in the 21st century? Oh, boy. So just that term astro magic um, says it all. You've got the sun, the moon, and the planets so astrology is formed from what's out there so what you can do is utilize uh you know those online services that will draw up your chart but basically in my own practice uh, as a when i was doing the clinical hypnotherapy and did a lot of archetypal work with clients in trance what i would get them to do is to close their eyes 
and imagine themselves somewhere where the sun is out and to look up at the sun and feel the sun's warmth, the energy of the sun, allow it to come into your body, like to penetrate right into the bone marrow. And once they're engaged, that's what, that's what the magicians were doing. They wanted some form of personal engagement with the power of the archetypes. And we're going to be using the word archetype now rather than, than the words of magic and that, that we used earlier with, with the Egyptian um, magician priest. Mm -hmm. we, are, we are engaging on, at a very personal level with the sun. We're feeling his energy. We're imagining that we're just soaking it up. Second stage is where you invite the sun down to present to you in a human form. So you imagine that you're at the beach, for instance, or in a, a you know at a country cottage, and you're standing outside with the with the trees and the sun's up there, and you invite the sun to come down to you and appear in a human form. And the best way to do this is just to accept whatever comes first. So it could actually be like a big ball of light or it could be uh, you know, a butterfly, or it, could, or it could be someone in a human form. So you really want a human form because the next part is where you put your hands out and ask him, and generally it's a him, but it can be a her, mm -hmm. the, ask the son to take your hands in his and to just send you all of his light and love. So now you have that tactile engagement. You feel the texture and the warmth of his hands. And then you become very, very passive. So you're actually dropping from a light trance where you're doing the imagery, dropping into a medium to, to deeper trance where you're gone from this world. You can't hear the cars beeping outside. You can't hear the cat scratching at the door wanting to be let in. That's gone. <laughs> you're in your inner world. That's where the magic happens. Right. So you feel that energy and then you become very passive and you just let yourself just fall back through the back of the chair or through the bed and soak that energy up and feel where is the sun sending that energy? Where is it going? And you want to be sensory in this, not just visual, but sensory. And you would do the same with the moon. You know, my favorite place is by a lake. And when the sun's there, it's daytime. And when the sun, when, when I want to see the moon, it's, it's, it's just getting dark, it's twilight. And on the other side of the lake is the moon just rising. And there's that trail, that stairway to the moon reflected on the water. Oh, I like that. Yeah, and I invite the moon to come to me in a human form. And she comes along dressed as in these, you know, long Greek, Greek, Grecian gowns. And then I usually get a hug from her. You know, I can take her hands, but I've done that before. So the hug part is like, oh, my God, this feels good. And you <laughs> soak it up. you just like a sponge in a puddle of water. So you become very, very tactile, very sensory and very personal. And then with practice, you talk. You know, you say, look, I've got this problem with a worker, you know, someone at work and you know, I don't know what's going on. How can you advise me? And so with practice, and I'm talking a lot of practice. Uh -huh. Well, for some people, it's easy, but generally you've got to work at it. Mm -hmm. the, the sun and the moon will advise you. So they become the two pillars 
your two guardians, your two counselors in the inner world. Nice. So if you if you want to, you can go and explore, just say, um, you know, an incident that happened 20 years ago and it still affects you. You can you can go into that image or that memory. Usually we go after the memory, it's much safer. Mm -hmm. But you take the sun and the moon with you because they'll be able to advise you what to do. They will protect you. I've had clients that have gone in and uh, wanted to go into a certain memory and the sun said, no, you're not ready. It's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so using the magic this way saves you having to go and buy a monkey, get permission from the, the, the FDA that you're allowed to cut its top of its skull off and scrape out its brains <laughs> and the blood of a donkey and, you know, eye of newt. So it saves all of that sort of stuff and having to remember the name of all the different demons and spirits. You don't need that stuff. What we are doing is we are very Gnostic. Gnosis is knowing mm. through personal experience. Mm. And I've not had a single person have any negative experiences whatsoever from doing it this way. It's now, I got a question magic. for you, no? Yeah, so yep. I have. Do you use um? So like like I, you know, first thing when I think about the moon, I'm thinking, oh, maybe some some crystals that correlates with the moon will enhance that. Do you work with anything else with like like your tarot cards because you're you're definitely you're definitely a a long time Taoist too. We didn't talk about yeah. that. So no, we haven't had time. Maybe <laughs> next time. Yeah. But yes, in terms of crystals, like uh, I've been involved with crystals for. Well, nearly all of that time as well for, you know, 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love crystals. Oh, fell in love with crystals. I, I did have a big collection until we moved house and I can't find half of them have just disappeared. Aww. There's somewhere in the void. But <laughs> uh, yeah, look, crystals, use incense, mm -hmm. um, scented oils, flowers, gemstones, what you want they are tools that facilitate the inner work that you do so all of the work that I do comes from personal practice and working with people one-to-one -one. Mm -hmm. you know one of the first things I learned when I was doing uh, clinical hypnotherapy I was mentored by a psychotherapist one mm -hmm. of the first things he said is don't be afraid to take people into the inner world you know don't be afraid to get them to close their eyes and go into trance right and don't be afraid if they cry because people cry. It's normal. And that was that was so refreshing because psychology is like, whoa. They can't even use the word emotion. They call it affect. Oh, you're having affect. No, wow. no, no. I'm having an emotion. It's, right. it's very, very anal. Yeah. So psychotherapy, uh, clinical hypnotherapy is definitely the way to go. And today's, the way they are training psychologists today is basically it's almost like accounting it's mm -hmm. just it's just numbers mm -hmm. so yes definitely use pictures so if you're studying egyptian magic mm -hmm. then you would have posters of mm -hmm. it, you know of, of mm -hmm. that place and that time that reflect symbolism yes. thank you mm -hmm. yeah statues um talismans you would make your own talismans and 
you can go to those books of the Picatrix and the Key of Solomon. You can go to those books and read up the spells that they've used and how they came about it. But really, the simplest way and what I find has the most profound psychological and spiritual effect is you do your inner work. The inner world is the spiritual world. Right. The moment that you close your eyes, your brain starts dropping down the, the fast beta brain waves and moving you into alpha, which is like you're in this space where there's no thoughts at all, and then into theta, which is where you start to get the lucid imagery and you are engaging. Basically, you're in a, in a dream, in a lucid state. What would you so recommend you can do that? No, yeah, I was going to say, what would you, because I know we have your book. Your, tell me your book again about the psycho, um, psycho. Uh, uh, Self-hypnosis. Yes, yes. Self-hypnosis, Tame Your Inner Dragons, uh, Clinical and Psychic Use of Friends. So I wrote that book back in 1996. Well, that was the first version. And I've since uh, rewritten it, I think, um, about two years ago. Mm -hmm. But it's it's sort of a summary of all the experiences I had in that golden era of working as a clinical hypnotherapist and, and blending astrology with psychotherapy techniques and a little bit of magic, a little bit of <laughs> alchemy, you know, whatever I could squeeze into it, I did it. Right. And the the results of doing that just reinforce over and over that this is the way to go. One of the actually... The very first person that I took into trance to talk to the sun came back and was like, whoa, that was amazing. And as she left, she turned to me and said, look, I, this is weird, Noel, but the sun told me to tell you that you're doing the right thing. <laughs> this is what you're supposed to do. Like, that was that was even more cool yeah so <laughs> and she'd never had experience with with the, that kind of work before none whatsoever nothing not, not at all she was actually a therapist herself and um she had died many many times from asthma oh, wow. and she now had two children and she didn't want to die anymore she would just get sick and there's they'd have to race her off to hospital so I thought, oh, this is this will be interesting. So close your eyes, going deeper and deeper. And I'd also I'd previously had some work with another client calling on Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not really religious. In fact, I'm not religious at all. Right. But you know, you, you learn things. Mm -hmm. And and um, this fellow met Jesus, and Jesus gave him his exact time of birth to the second, wow. which was pretty amazing. Um, so anyway, this girl she met Jesus. And Jesus told her, he said, the reason that you're dying is that when you were a child, your mother and father were always on the brink of breaking up, of separating. And so what would happen is that you would have an asthma attack and then that would keep them together. And every time you felt threatened and, and uh, insecure of the separation, you would have an asthma attack. But now it's a habit. It's... It happens whenever you get emotional. So when she finished the session, she was really quiet. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, she told me what Jesus said. And Jesus' Jesus' words to her at the end of the session was to place a feather at her feet. And he said, you know, walk gently, walk softly. It was just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Wow. 
And and, and guys, the name of uh, Noel's book is Tame, it's Self-Hypnosis, Tame Your Inner Dragons. And then also you may want to check out his psychological astrology in the 12 houses, especially if you're, you're just getting started with this type of work. Noel, do you have any other resources that you recommend people may want to check into? I know you sent me a page on... Um, astrological magic um a link or something and that's in your newsletter as well right yeah my yeah um i've got a free newsletter that people can uh access you want it, to tell it doesn't them? cost anything uh yeah just go to my website plutoscave.com just one word and uh click on the subscribe button to my newsletter where all the stuff that i talk about here today uh, today it's all there. I put out these newsletters every fortnight on something that is of interest to me, something esoteric, uh, astrology, tarot, and spiritual stuff like this. <clears throat> Anything to do with the occult, um, I write about and put a, I love it. a lot of effort into it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love it. And you're coming out, you're thinking about coming out with some new writings on your studies that you're doing right now, correct? Yes, yes, this has been a very long work in progress, the um, Egyptian magic and astrology and Catholicism, you know, mm -hmm. how the influence of the Catholic Church on 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 the New Age, really, because right. all of it goes, oh, it, we are so, we're on these a series of threads that keep on bumping into each other that goes back five, six, seven thousand years. So even what we think is is wicker it's not really right. wicker right it actually comes from from uh the greek philosophers which comes from hermetic teachings which comes from etc etc yeah so um, i'm hoping to um you know i've got three i've got three newsletters that i'm writing now on this subject so the first one is an introduction to hermeticism and ancient greece the second one is the talismans and the picatrix and the Kea solomon and the third newsletter is going to be linking all of that with the Catholic Church in that 14th, 15th century of the Renaissance period. So once I've finished those three, I'll have enough. I would have read enough books. <laughs> I got so many books on this stuff now that I'll be able to write maybe a you know 50,000 word book and and publish that, which will be that'll be a big job because this year I've the only writing I've done this year. Um, I published the Wands, the Phil's Journey Through the Wands on the 1st of January this year. And then within two weeks, I had COVID and that smashed me. Uh, oh, because yes. of, yeah, because of my, you know, I'm living with chronic fatigue is, uh, I've, I've kept it, you know, I've managed my chronic fatigue all my life with diet and meditation and exercise, but, uh, yeah, I still got chronic fatigue and, uh, a thyroid disorder and, Bam, COVID found my weakness and burrowed in. So I was crooked for about six months and then I started <laughs> then I started realizing, hang on, no, you uh you did study healing. Um <laughs> what about those herbs that you talk about and tell everybody else to take? So it's it's interesting because one of one of my clients dropped in to say hello, which is really nice. He dropped in to say hello and, and we're talking and said, oh, I had a heart attack and I've just, you know, the doctors wanted to prescribe me with this bucket load of tablets. And I said, no, I'm, I don't take tablets. So he went and did his research and came up with a, a couple of herbs that um, 
that he used to get him over his heart condition. I thought, oh, you got to be joking. What the hell am why haven't I thought of this? Yeah. So, and, yeah, so, and, and you have that as, astrological aspect on that um, health as well. Yeah. So you can combine that yeah. with your. Well, that's it. You know, I'm an astrologer. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a healer. And I tell people what to do. And I don't even listen to my own advice. <laughs> advice. So, yeah. So within a week of getting those herbs and cooking them up, I started to feel actually human and it's been a slow climb up because the last thing that is coming uh becoming almost normal is my brain like i like you'll see in, in some of the stuff that i've spoken about today that now uh, there's things that have fallen out of my brain i just can't pick up can't find them so <laughs> you know my brain has slowed down and so i haven't really been able to write anything this year i haven't even been able to plan too much writing which normally, you know, I can publish three books in a year, but this year I've, I've just struggled to get the newsletters done. But yeah, my brain's, well, my brain's getting, it's improving a lot now. Oh, happy to hear that, um, Noel. <laughs> and I want to tell people too about your tarot series. We, we didn't, we didn't touch on the tarot series much, but those, we haven't. those uh, books are amazing. And I mean, we can even do a, you can come back and just talk totally on that series no one i don't think uh, anyone has I'd done this yeah the series um, um and just you want to tell them the series um no on your yeah own? yeah well when i back in 2014 i had a jupiter transit of jupiter so it's a jupiter return jupiter takes 12 years to go through the zodiac mm -hmm. 12 years to go around the sun and jupiter is coming back to his natal position and in my meditations i drop in and, and see jupiter and because my Venus is conjunct next to Jupiter, I would sit, I would go into, into my chart and see Jupiter and Venus together and they're chatting along. They're really, really happy. And I, and I would say to them, you know, what's going on? You know, a Jupiter return is like a magic time. It's when things start to buzz and happen and it's beautiful. Right. And Jupiter and Venus would just giggle and say, yeah, you'll find out. Anyway, within a couple of months of the transit, bam, I started, um, I, I created up my new website. I started writing my first book on psychological astrology in the 12 houses and away I went. It, it just started to happen. But when I created the, the website, I had nothing to put on it. So I thought, you know what? I'd seen this, I'd seen someone write something on the fool's journey and I'd read it in a number of places. And I thought, I can do that. Great. So I wrote the first book, The Fool's Journey Through the Tarot, Major Arcana was the first book I wrote yes. in, um, in tarot. And over the next three years, I just refined it and refined it and refined it. And I gave, gave out the original versions out for free for people that su subscribed. But the book today compared to the one then, it's almost a completely um, different book because I've spent so much time working at it. But that particular book the the major arcana is the first one and the the reviews are fantastic like people actually like what i write which is amazing yes. so that the fact that i got such good reviews meant that oh i could write maybe the minor arcana <laughs> I, I can write the fool's journey through the tarot pentacles swords cups wands but it I didn't want it to be another recipe book. I wanted right. it to be an, a story, a fictional story. Yeah. Because the first first book was the um, the hero is the 
the fool, mm -hmm. I called him Fallen, which is the French name for fool. And Fallen meets the lover in the lover's card. So he meets Eve, his, his future um, wife. And so the archetypes of the magician, I call him Hermes, and the high priestess is Hera. Yeah. Good Greek names. And the Hierophant and the charioteer and the emperor and the empress. And they were the characters that I could lean on while I built up the rest of the series. So, yeah, along came the, the pentacles. So I had to give Fallen a storyline with he and Eve where they uh, travel through the pentacles kingdom. And they every chapter is a card. So the ace is the chapter one. And it has to reflect what the ace means. Right. Chapter two was the two of pentacles. And chapter three was the three. So there's ten chapters. And uh, so each chapter is a lesson on that card. Mm. And at the end, at the end of every chapter is Fallen's meditation on that card. So what I did is I got the card and I would sit down, close my eyes and I would scry. I'd go into the card and meet the, the, the people in there or, you know, whatever it is. And so sometimes it would all come to me, bam, in one go. Other times I might go in there and scry that card two or three times to get the essence of what that card meant. And so that I would write them up as a, as a meditation of Fallen the Fool. Uh, and, uh, yes, yes. I love it because um, it's a storytelling of the tarot. It's a really great way to learn. If you always wanted to learn the tarot, it's a great way to learn it. Yeah, it was fun to write too. Mind you, the, the last two books were... Uh, the cups took about a year, maybe mm -hmm. two years to write. Took a long time anyway, because I was doing a lot of other things. And then the wands, wands is twice as big as the others because I had to tie off all the loose ends from the series. And things happen in the series that <laughs> had to be had to be completed. You know, like tying off a set of boot laces. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's it's a little bit bigger than Ben Hur, but it's. You know, <laughs> I like, I like it a real lot because there's so much magic in there. And uh, I, I, the form of magic that I like is physical. So if, if you can't manifest it in your inner world as magic and in the outer world as magic, then I'm not real happy with it. So right. anything, anything like the Harry Potter spells and the, you know, abracadabras, they leave me a little bit cold. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of hermeticism, the magic is, is, is spell casting. And I'm not real comfortable with that. I like close your eyes, go in there, meet the archetype or meet your inner child, give them a hug. Or, you know, you can go and meet anybody. You know, the tarot right. cards, I would meditate with the tarot cards and go in and have their energy and talk with them. Yeah. Uh, go into dreams. So. I like it to be real because I've traveled and you know, I've had so many uh, astral travel experiences. Mm -hmm. The first 20 years that I started astral traveling after starting learning Tai Chi, I would leave my body nearly every single night. And sometimes it would be three of them, three going in, wake up, process it, fall asleep, go back in, wow. wake up. And uh, so to me, you got to do it. You've got to do the magic, talking about it, having spells with magic words and, you know, the name, all those names of the demons and that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's not for me. I like to 
do it. So that's a Taoist approach. Taoist mm -hmm. Taoist alchemy is do it, just do it. Well, they can also get a mentor. Um, you mentor professionals on the mystic path like myself that wants mentoring. So they can do that with you as well through Zoom or Skype, correct? That's correct. If any, Yeah, if people are interested in taking um, their journey further, then that's for me. It's in my website. I'm happy to do charts and mentoring with people, but I don't do lucky numbers. I don't do <laughs> when will I when will I get married or, or when will I win the lottery? You know, that sort of stuff. That's not what I do. So yeah, I like to tell people that. <laughs> right up front, up front. right? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, and the, the most contact information is plutoscave.com. Um, and your email address, Noel, is? Info, nice and easy, info at plutoscave.com. Com. And I am so thankful that you were able to join us today. And I wanted to get you on earlier, but as we said, you know, with timing and uh, uh, COVID uh. and you being sick, it, it's now, <laughs> it's, but this was the perfect time to talk about this. And we're going to have you back on later because we are just scratching the surface of um, what you have to offer here. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so I, I could talk your ears off. <laughs> I won't today. I already <laughs> have, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Noel, Noel Eastwood. Um, and I am sure um, you will be hearing from some of my audience. I am so thank you for having you on How to Heal. And um, we will see you guys next time. Thank you, Mika. This has been such a joy. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. You're welcome, Noel. Thank you, everybody. Bye. -bye. Bye.